What is up, people at Camcast? How are we doing? Uh, you know, I was just thinking this morning and a lot of the day today, I realized, you know, the Lakers are in the Western Conference Finals and I haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> I mean, it's been 10 years since we made it to the Western Conference Finals and I haven't done a single podcast about the Lakers playoffs so far. I mean, I did the podcast, you know, earlier on talking about the Lakers outlook in the playoffs and outlook going into the bubble. I talked about the awards that the Lakers should have won. You know, AD should have won Defensive Player of the Year. And I know MVP hasn't been announced yet, but LeBron should win that one. I mean, he's pretty much showing it in the playoffs why he's still the best player in the league. I mean, he's just single-handedly taking over games. But yeah, I'm pretty pumped. I mean, I'm not even going to lie about it. You know, there's I'm just so excited right now about how the Lakers are playing and how they've looked through the first two rounds. Um you know, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, following along. This is going to be episode 15. This is going to be me completely just drooling over the Lakers. Uh, pause. That sounded pretty bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess just, you know, getting all excited about the Lakers, getting excited about their outlook, you know, being one of the, the last five teams. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast right now on the eve of game seven between the Nuggets and the Clippers. And, you know, so my brother is a Nuggets fan. I'm really hoping the Nuggets pull that one out. One, because... I actually like a lot of players in the Nuggets, and I think the Nuggets have played really hard. And two, I just don't think the Clippers deserve to even make it to the Western Conference Finals. You know, once a, once the stepson, always the stepson or the stepchild, you know, whatever, I don't like the Clippers. I don't like a lot of their players. In fact, I don't really like any of their players. I used to like Kawhi. I used to like Paul George. But Paul George proved to be, you know, basically a bitch when he said he never wanted to be, to, uh, he didn't want to come to the Lakers after the Lakers didn't try and trade for him, even though it was smart for the Lakers not to because they were trying to have as many pieces as they could so that way they'd have a more competitive product out there for him. Um, He's obviously not smart enough to understand that, and because of that, I'm no longer a fan of his. Uh, Kawhi, uh, I can't even deny it, Kawhi's, there's a potential that he's the best player in the league right now. I mean, there are just some plays that he makes in the mid-range and just controlling the the game defensively where you're like man this guy's you know he's on he's on another level i think he's only like 28 29 he's still in his prime still getting better he's a freak athlete you know that's you got to respect Kawhi's game but i don't like anyone else on the clippers especially that clown crackhead patrick beverly that guy's just a nuisance but you know I'm going to talk about a lot about the first round against the Trailblazers. I'm going to talk about the Rocket series as well. Those were two completely different series. The Lakers were able to win in four, five games in both of those series, playing two completely different types of basketball. So I just thought that their diversity and their roster, which allows them to have that type of diversity, really shine through in these first two rounds. Um, but, you know, once again, if you guys want to keep following on the podcast, I, I need to get more uh conversations going on the instagram go ahead and follow at cam.cast and we'll get those things going um but we're just going to get right into it so i'm going to talk about the first round against the trailblazers i think a lot of people in the media were kind of choosing the trailblazers to upset the lakers and okay it was just one of those things where the lakers weren't playing well in those first eight games in the bubble and trailblazers were red hot damian lillard was just playing at an outrageous pace I mean, Damian Lillard is what Damian Lillard is. Damian Lillard's an amazing player. He's one of my five favorite players playing today. He has a little bit of that Mamba mentality in him, you know. He just plays really hard all the time. He shows no weaknesses. He doesn't show a lot of emotion on the court. 
he just he's a, he's a cold face assassin. You know, he really is. His jump shot is unbelievable. He's a great teammate. His teammates always really seem to love to play with him, which is more than you can say for a lot of the members on the Rockets, i.e. Russell Westbrook and James Harden, who just seem to not get along with anybody. Uh just because Russell Westbrook's a horrible player, but I'll get into that later on. Uh, no, but so the, the Trailblazers came in red hot, and they uh, they were definitely the media favorite going into that series. I mean, it's kind of unprecedented for an eight seed to beat a one seed. It did happen. It was, uh, I'm going to mess up the year, but it was the I Believe Warriors. For those of you that are just now Warriors fans, take a listen. Uh <laughs> The Golden State Warriors were really good. They were an eight seed, I believe, back in two thousand and seven or eight, somewhere in there. It was a team full of Monte Ellis. They had Stephen Jackson. They had Al Harrington, Jason Richardson. They were pretty loaded, and they were an eight seed. And they wound up beating the one seeded Dallas Mavericks that year, which was kind of crazy. And that was the year in which uh, Dirk Nowitzki actually won his MVP. So I mean, it has happened before, and those were different circumstances. Of course, that eighth seeded Warriors team was just stacked. I mean, they had a whole bunch of ballers on that team. They were just a really good team. But it was kind of, it's its one of those things for the media. It's not even original anymore. I mean, all these guys are, have picked against the Lakers for years. Charles Barkley even saying on TNT that he predict, uh, projected the Lakers to get swept after they lost game one to the Trailblazers. I mean, you know, walking around the studio with a broom. What a clown he is. I've never... I've never understood his disdain or his dislike for the Lakers. I don't get it. Maybe it's because he's never won a championship and the Lakers have won so many and so often and so frequently and we've had all the best players. I think there there's definitely a lot of jealousy from players that have never been on the Lakers that just see the Lakers win title after title and you know have successful seasons all these times. That's why I think the last, you know, 7 to 8 years when the Lakers haven't been in the playoffs, people have just been happy. You know, if you aren't a Lakers fan, you've just been so jovial that the Lakers haven't been in the mix at all. You know, had all these really horrible teams, have all these really horrible things happen to us. You know, the Chris Paul trade that didn't go through, Kobe getting injured, um, a whole bunch of the other things, a lot of the players that we had on our team. You know, so it's one of those things where people were wanting the Trailblazers to win. And after game one, I was like, yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, they, they look good. I had no doubts. I mean, we matched up really well from uh, with the Trailblazers from the get-go. The Trailblazers, their starting lineup originally, it was Nurkic at the five. They had, uh, uh, what's it? They had Carmelo at the four, Wenyan Gabriel at the three. Uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, CJ McCollum at the two, and Damon at the one. And that lineup was, I mean, that was our first lineup. It was They were playing pretty good against us. I mean, it made a lot of sense. You know, Damian Lillard was just going off. We were trying to figure out how to defend him. And he had an amazing game. CJ had an amazing game. Carmelo was a non-factor in that first game. Um, we did not have a good game. We played like we had taken some time off and we hadn't really played very hard, which was which was kind of like a lot of the bubble. I mean, the Lakers didn't really have a sense of urgency in those eight bubble games. Um so I was expecting us to really come out flat in that game one, and they did. I mean, they didn't play well at all in that game one, but I got to give the Lakers a lot of credit, and I give the coaching staff a lot of credit. They came out in game two, and they played hard. They played a really hard-fought game, and you know, as the series kind of went on, we learned what type of coach Frank Vogel is. I mean, Frank Vogel, we've always heard that he is a defensive-minded coach, and we hadn't really seen it. I mean, we've seen some of it in the regular season, but... It's different when you get into the playoffs and you're playing the same team, you know, in a best of seven series, and you're trying to figure out the best way to maximize all of your players and to maximize each possession because each possession is important in a seven game series. You want to make sure that you play as few of games as possible as you know the Clippers are learning right now. So 
Frank Vogel's ability to basically run a double team on Damian Lillard for the remainder of the th- of uh, for the last three games of that five game series was amazing. I mean, they put Caruso on Damian Lillard, playing him full court. They put KCP on Damian Lillard, playing him full court. And as soon as he would cross half court, they'd have a second guy basically playing as like a a linebacker who would basically wait for Dame to either go left or go right and then either make a pass or drive or shoot. And it just was, I mean, Damian Lillard, they basically made him human. And he was so superhuman through a lot of the season when he was having all these 50-point games. And, you know, most notably on the night that Kobe was uh, was uh, remembered at Staples Center after his death. But even in the bubble, he was just killing it. You know, he was absolutely incredible in the bubble. And the Lakers, through their defense, was able to completely stop him. And I know a lot of the analysts were talking throughout the entire series about how the Lakers are horrible at playing point guards. I mean, there were some stats showing up there that the Lakers were just not a good team to play against star point guards. And, of course, in today's NBA, the point guard is kind of the the de facto scorer on a lot of these teams. I mean, you got guys like uh, Chris Paul, you know, Stephen Curry, Kyrie Irving, all these type of players that are not your traditional point guards anymore. These are guys that are more combo scoring guards that bring the ball up the court. They're not your de facto point guards. Your de facto point guards are coming from a different, a lot of different sources nowadays. I mean, in all honesty, for the Nuggets, Nicole Jokic is kind of their de facto point guard. I mean, he the, the offense runs through him and stuff like that. So it was kind of interesting that the Lakers were able to take something that people thought was a weakness and actually turn it into a strength. And I can't say enough about LeBron James. LeBron James turned it on uh, towards the last three games of that series, and you could just tell that he he was on a mission. And there were some times where Anthony Davis in that in I think the the, the first game and the second game where he just didn't seem like he was invested in what was going on on the court. And I would tell my buddy Pre when we were watching the games here at the house that, hey, you know, he needs to get more more into what's going on now. And then all of a sudden, he'd have a dunk, he'd start yelling, and he'd get mad, and that's when he would just start playing hard. Uh, Anthony Davis, it seems like, you know, through watching him playing, he really feeds off of his defense. The better defensive plays that he has on the previous side of the court – the more prone he is to just attack the basket, which is what we need him to do. I mean, he's a great mid-range shooter. He's a pretty good three-point shooter. But when he's driving to the basket with the ball, he we become a completely different team. I mean, the defense is going to have to collapse on him. And what that allows is a high-low option with either Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee where you can just dump the ball up to them. Or you can throw it off to one of our shooters. And our shooters were absolutely amazing in that first series. They're better in the Houston Rockets series. But in the first series, they were still pretty fantastic. And I was honestly really impressed. Um, the, obviously, the Trailblazers, they didn't, I don't know, they're, they weren't, they didn't match up with us right. You know, they had Nurkic and Whiteside who were t- two tall big guys, but they're slow. There's no one on that team that matched up with Anthony Davis. Nurkic tried, but man, Nurkic in that second half of every single one of those games, he was completely gassed, and you can see it on him. And he's not a very quick guy. He's not a fast guy. He's not a guy not a guy that's really known as being a defensive stopper by any sense of the imagination. I mean, Nurkic is a great player but he's not somebody that can keep up with AD, which is why having AD is a complete luxury for us. I mean, he's a six foot 11, seven foot guy that has the skills of a point guard. I mean, there's really no one else in the NBA that's like that except for Kevin Durant and maybe Giannis to an extent, but even Giannis doesn't have Anthony Davis' jump shot. So that whole series, I mean, 
on paper, it looked like the Trailblazers matched up really well with the Lakers, but the front court of the of the Trailblazers was just too slow. They weren't strong enough. They weren't built for this, right? Hassan Whiteside has been noted to have lapses in his mental judgment through a lot of the course of his career. He doesn't seem like a very bright guy. He blocks a lot of shots, and that's because his wingspan is like seven foot eight. Uh, he doesn't really jump, doesn't run well, doesn't shoot well. What he does is he, he blocks shots at the right at the rim, and he was doing that, but Anthony Davis was scoring more. And I'm going to I'm gonna say it once, and you're going to hear it a lot on the pod. Alex Caruso is an amazing player that we have on the Lakers. I don't think that – yeah, Alex Caruso was a meme at the beginning of the season. He was a meme last year. He was probably a meme before. But Alex Caruso is what you want on your team. If, if I were to play on a team, Alex Caruso is exactly who I would want on my team. That guy just plays really, really hard all the time. All he wants to do is win. He doesn't care about counting stats. He wants to make the right shots. He wants to make the right passes. He wants to play defense the right way. And that just, it rubs off on all of your teammates. I mean, he he gets all kinds of steals. He was blocking shots. He was just playing on-ball defense on Damian Lillard the entire time and giving him a tough time because Caruso is fast. He's quick. And for his size, you know, being six foot five, the guy's pretty strong. And obviously you've seen his dunks. I mean, He's a type of guy that just motivates the rest of the team, and it's been it's been great having him on the team. This guy's really playing himself into a long career in the NBA, and even more so, he's going to play himself into some serious money in the next couple of years. Currently, he's on a two-year, uh, $5 million contract, but that, that expires at the, the end of the 2021 season, and I'm pretty sure more teams than just the Lakers are going to be trying to sign him away. I hope that we sign him for the long haul because he's basically our fine, but you know I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Caruso. Kuzma had some nice moments in that series as well, but I mean, Kuzma's, Kuzma's I don't know, his he's so inconsistent, his shot selection is not that good, but what he was doing really well was cutting, and he's gotten amazing at his on-ball defense. I mean, his on-ball defense has been absolutely spectacular. Um, I'll talk more about that when we talk about the Rocket series, which we'll do now. Um, but before that, I got a fun top 10 for you guys, so let's get into that. So today's top 10 list, I haven't done a top 10 list in a while. Um, I think that this one's pretty appropriate. Based off of the team that the Lakers just beat in the second round, the Houston Rockets, who have two of the most overrated players in NBA history, I'm doing my top 10 list. This is my top 10 list. It's not going to get a lot of fans. People aren't going to like some of the people that I put on this list, but I don't care because it's my list. And some of these guys are just, they're just so overrated, it's ridiculous. I mean, the name is more than what the talent provides. So this is my top 10 list for overrated players currently in the NBA. So I'm going to start at number 10, and it's a zinger, guys. It really is. Number 10, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't. I think I mispronounced the last name, but it's all consonants, so I get kind of confused. But yeah, Giannis to me is, granted, he's a great player. He is a freak athlete, which is, you know, Greek freak. He's a seven-footer with point guard skills. He's got no jump shot, right? When you really watch him play, a lot of his baskets come at the rim. A lot of them are dunks. A lot of them are layups. I don't see him develop. He hasn't developed a, any type of mid-range or three-point shot in the last, you know, in his, in his six years he's been in the NBA. He's definitely not a two-time MVP in my opinion. He can't lead his team out of the weak Eastern Conference. He's been bounced two years in a row. Last year he was bounced by the uh, what was it the the Raptors? 
I believe it was the Raptors, when they were up 2-0. And then he was just bounced by the Heat, who are supposed to be an inferior team on paper. They played way harder because they have way more grit than than the Bucks do, apparently. But yeah, I just think that Giannis is, is overrated, so he's number 10. Number 9 for me is a Clipper. It's Reggie Jackson. Um, I don't understand the love for Reggie Jackson. I don't understand when the Clippers signed Reggie Jackson, why people thought it was an amazing signing. I've watched Reggie Jackson's career pretty closely because of fantasy basketball. Um, I drafted him, uh, I believe, two or three years ago, and he was a member of the Pistons, and he was their starting point guard. He has low field goal percentage, low three-point percentage. He gets a lot of turnovers. He averages, at best, 15 points per game with, what, four, four and a half assists. He's just not a good player. He's not a smart player, and... If you watch the Clippers, the Clippers last game, they didn't even play him. They played him one minute in garbage time last game because he's not good. But I remember when he was signed this year, a lot of the people were saying, oh, that's a great signing by the Clippers. No, it's not. Reggie Jackson is garbage. Reggie Jackson's not a good player, and I don't care what they say. So that's why he's number nine. For me, and this is, I think this is actually a pretty good selection. Number eight, LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge has been an all-star for the past like six or seven seasons. And my question is why? Yeah, his counting numbers are great. I think he consistently averages 21, 22 points with 11 or 12 rebounds. And that's all. That's fine. That's completely fine. But what does LaMarcus Aldridge do in the win department? Absolutely nothing. As soon as the Trailblazers, as soon as he left the Trailblazers, the Trailblazers started winning more games. I mean, they were the three seed last year and went all the way to the Western Conference Finals with Yusuf Nurkic as their center. And LaMarcus Aldridge was on the Spurs, you know, in the first round getting bounced. I mean, his team didn't even make the playoffs this year, and that team was not that bad. It was with him and DeMar DeRozan, but I don't know. There's nothing scary about LaMarcus Aldridge. He might have the most cash mid-range shot in the NBA. You know, when it goes in, when he shoots it, it goes in. But I just don't understand why he continually becomes an all-star and sometimes makes, you know, second or third team all-NBA. I just don't think he's that impressive of a player. Number seven for me is a player I don't like, and I said earlier in the pod, a clipper from Palmdale, California, Paul George. Um, I just think Paul George is overrated. I'm going to say it once. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Paul George is not that great of a player. Paul George continually folds in the playoffs. He's gotten a little bit better since his first-round woes. But last year, when he was on the Thunder, he was a complete liability. Um, And he wants to complain all the time and act like people are against him. Paul George, you're just not that good. There's a reason why people keep scoring in you when you're on defense. You're, you're just not that good of a defender like everybody thinks that you are. You're a great three-point shooter. I'll give you that. You're a really good scorer, but you're not an elite two-way player like a lot of the people in the media think that you are. They just paint that narrative because you were good at defense twice in your career when you were on the Pacers, when you were playing against the Heat, back when the Heat and the Pacers would go all the time uh, during the playoffs. But Paul George just isn't that guy to me, and he, I don't think he ever will be. Number six for me, overrated, Chris Paul. I do not understand when I listen to a telecast, people are saying, oh, Chris Paul and all of his his pedigree and all of the great things he's done. Chris Paul has not gotten out of the second round. How is that success? If, If NBA players are measured on their rings and the amount of accolades and success that they're able to obtain with their teams, what's Chris Paul done? Chris Paul was in the Clippers for years, right? And they had a stacked team. They had him, DeAndre Jordan. They had J.J. Redick. They had Blake Griffin. They had a cast of guys that kept coming in and out of that roster. They had Paul Pierce at a certain time, Jamal Crawford at a certain time. They were completely stacked. Couldn't get out of the second round. Couldn't beat the Warriors. Couldn't beat the Rockets. They couldn't do it. But Chris Paul still gets all types of praise. Why? I heard one of the people that voted for uh, NBA All-Second Team and All-First Team. Somebody voted for Chris Paul ahead of Damian Lillard as, uh, as an All-Team member this year. 
How does that happen? Did people not watch Damian Lillard play this year? Did people see Chris Paul play? Chris Paul, yeah, it was a good story with the Thunder because you know they weren't supposed to make the playoffs. They had a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. He averaged, I think, 18 points and like eight assists. But I just, I that's he doesn't impress me. There's nothing about his game that impresses me. Plus, I just don't like Chris Paul, so it's just one of those things. Um, number five. And this is a pretty easy one for me. Could have gone higher on the list, but there are a couple guys up there that I think are more overrated. James Harden. Okay. If you listen to the podcast, you know that I hate all things Houston. I hate the Astros and I hate the Rockets. That's why I was so satisfied when the Lakers beat the Rockets at their own game and James Harden had no answers for it. Okay. James Harden is a phenomenal shooter. James Harden is a phenomenal scorer. James Harden is a fucking crybaby. James Harden throws his beard and his arms and everything into the air to get a foul call at all times. I believe it was game four. He had 21 points. Okay, Five of those were from actual shots that he made. He made 16 free throws in that game. He shot, I believe, 18 free throws. He was 16 of 18. How does that happen? I don't understand why the referees continually bail him out throughout his entire career. That That's... If, if Kobe were to have gotten that same treatment when Kobe was playing, Kobe would have averaged 45 points per game, and it's not close. James Harden is just out of shape. He's not. There's nothing impressive about him. He plays the same game all the time, and I think that a lot of players around the league don't like him either. They think that he's overrated. If you're in a system of offense where you're basically given the keys and say, hey, just go ahead and shoot threes as often as you want, you know, there are games when James Harden was 2 for 15 from 3. That happened, I think, 3 or 4 times during this past season. Do you think that's okay? Two of 15, really? That And that's your leading scorer on your team? That's the guy that's supposed to bring you a championship? Yeah, okay, Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. You guys are just complete idiots, especially you, Daryl Morey. I don't understand the, the praise you get either, but for me, James Harden is number five. Uh, number four, Trey Young. Trey Young is on a team that's bad, so he gets a lot of useless stats. He's He's a Curry wannabe, and there's nothing impressive about him. I'm going to say it once, I'm going to say it over again, and I'm not even giving that much time because he doesn't deserve it. Trey Young is overrated, and that's why he's number four. Because he's not athletic, he's small, he he's a good shooter, but there, his his stats don't matter on a team that's bad. That's why I don't think he was deserving of being an all-star starter. There's no way. How does it make sense that Trey Young is an all-star, but a guy who's an amazing NBA player, like Drew Holiday, is not an all-star? Granted, Drew Holiday's in the, in the Western Conference, but... Trey Young is not an all-star, and he's definitely not an all-star starter. Number three for me is the backpack shooter himself, Draymond Green. Uh, Draymond Green was pretty prominent this year in getting triple singles. If you don't know what that is, that means you had like nine points, five rebounds, four assists all the time, barely breaking breaking double figures on any single stat category. He's just not having Curry and Klay Thompson or Kevin Durant this year really showed what type of player Draymond Green is, and he's not a good player. He's a player that you need on your team to fight to go after the hustle things, the hustle, the, you know, do the hustle, the hustle plays, the 50-50 balls, you know, setting good screens. He's that type of player. And for that, he's fun. But Draymond Green thinks he's good. I mean, he's on record saying that he's better than Charles Barkley. Does he, did he not ever see Charles Barkley play? Charles Barkley was a 25 and 12 rebound, sometimes 14 rebound a game guy. That's just who Charles Barkley were. Draymond Green couldn't even do that in 2K. There's no fucking way he could do that in 2K. Number two, and this one's pretty simple, and I don't get all the hype. I like the kid. I think he's a really good kid. But for me, the second most overrated player in today's NBA is Zion Williamson. Zion has played, what, 25 games? 
He's out of shape. He has no jump shot. And he just dunks a lot. The NBA wants to crown him the next coming and the next superstar so badly. They're willing to go around players that are already amazing like Luka Doncic and you know Devin Booker. Guys that are already really, really good and are really young and crown this guy the king. I'm not having it. You know, the fact that he even got one first place vote for rookie of the year is astounding. That person who voted for him should never have a vote ever again. Makes no sense. And to me, Zion's overrated until he proves me otherwise. And the most overrated player in the NBA right now, and I'm gonna say this forever because I just I don't I don't like him. There's something about him I don't like. I think it's his attitude. I think it's the way he approaches people and approaches the game. It's Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for three straight seasons. He won an MVP during one of those runs, and that's all well and good. You know, that's fine. If you really watch Russell Westbrook play, and I was able to do that in this last Lakers series, he's a horrible teammate. This guy was pulling up from all, uh, all over the court with no regard for the rest of his team, pulling up from half court, driving to the lane, throwing the ball away. He's just not a smart player. He's not a good player. I understand why Kevin Durant wanted to leave the Thunder and go play with the Warriors with a bunch of players that actually know how to play basketball. Russell Westbrook is 32 years old. He's owed $40 million over the next three seasons. That's all dead money. What are you going to do with that? He's never going to win a championship. He's never going to be the focal point of your team. He's a number two option. You know, like how the Thunder had it before when Kevin Durant, your primary scorer, and then you have Russell Westbrook in there slashing and getting dunks and doing hustle plays. That's where Russell Westbrook is at his best. But I don't understand how people think that Russell Westbrook is an amazing player. His skill set is so small. If Russell Westbrook was five inches shorter and half as athletic, he'd be selling french fries at McDonald's. I said it. I don't care. He has absolutely no basketball skill. His jump shot is broken, and he's been playing basketball his entire life. He makes horrible decisions. The one thing is, he's a freak athlete, but that's going to go away soon. You know, father time is undefeated. And when that goes away, he's just, he's just going to be another guy with millions and millions and millions of dollars in car dealerships in Orange County. So he wins. <laughs> he beats me in that regard. But to me, he's the most overrated player. All right, guys, let's get back to the pot. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, so I talked a little bit about it in the top 10. We're going to talk about the series the Lakers played against the Rockets in round two. So also, the way that this series started, um, people were kind of like, okay, well, it's a big lineup versus small lineup thing, you know, with the Rockets not having a center and P.J. Tucker being their center. And how are the Lakers going to respond? How are they going to play? Are they going to go through AD? Are they going to use their size? And in game one, we saw the traditional Lakers starting lineup. We saw JaVale McGee, a center, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Danny Green, and uh, uh, KCP. Okay, And that, that wound up not working. Game one, we lost. Game one, it wasn't a good game. We didn't play well. It was one of those things where it was kind of like game one against the Trailblazers where we didn't feel pressured, right? Um, I know for a fact that they had a little bit too much time off. We had, I think, five or six days off in between the Game 5 against the Trailblazers and Game 1 against the Rockets. So I, I knew we were going to lose. It just I had that vibe. I had that feeling that we were going to lose, and they just came out flat. 
They came out, they got punched in the mouth in the first quarter against the Rockets, and they kind of never recovered from that point on. So it was kind of one of those things where they were playing catch up and they were never quite able to catch up. But game two was a completely different animal. You know, they were able to come back. They played a lot better. Um, AD played a lot more strong. He played more like a center and didn't let P.J. Tucker bully him, which, okay, I got to say, I got to give a lot of credit to P.J. Tucker. This guy's 35 years old. He basically was playing in Europe for six to seven years of his career uh, after he was drafted by the Suns. He went to Europe, played six years in, uh, in Europe, came back and completely reinvented himself. He became a knockdown corner three-point shooter, was known as a defender, uh, really hard-nosed, tough player, and he played excellent this entire series. Like, I can't give enough cre- That's the only guy in the Rockets I can give a lot of credit to is P.J. Tucker. He just played his ass off, man. Completely undersized, didn't complain about it, just you know was given his assignment and, and, and did it to the best of his abilities. He's not going to be able to, to block Anthony Davis. It's just not going to happen. He can make things tough for him, and he did. He made things tough for him quite a bit of the time, but it was just one of those things. Anthony Davis is an all-star. He's a top 10 player in the NBA. He's six inches taller than you. He's way longer than you. He's way taller, you know, more strong than you. He's going to score on you. It's just what it's going to be. And that wound up being, you know, good for us because after AD got his confidence back in game two and moving forward, he just completely dominated that paint. I mean, Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined, I saw this stat, they were the first set of teammates to average 25 points and 10 rebounds in a, in a series since 1959. And the player there was it was Bob Pettit and somebody else, but that's a real stat that hasn't happened since 1959. It's been what 70 years. It's insane. It's completely insane. I mean, those two guys just completely balled out. Now, the thing that made this series really interesting for me is that the Lakers completely changed their game plan. They realized, I believe it was in Game Three, that the lineup that they were playing just wasn't working. It just there it, it wasn't JaVale McGee in there. It wasn't working. Having Dwight Howard play wasn't working. So what the Lakers wound up doing was they wound up starting Markeith Morris and not playing JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard at all. And what Markeith was able to do is stretch the floor and basically the Lakers were playing the Rockets at their own game and kicking their fucking ass. I mean, they really were. They were shooting better threes. They were quicker. They were playing harder defense. And it was amazing. I mean, Frank Vogel, it was, I think it was game three when they came out in that second half and Markeith Morris was starting in place of JaVale McGee. The game completely changed, and I don't think the Rockets were anticipating it. What the Lakers wound up doing is they were changing their defensive sets almost every single time going down the court. They were playing, whenever Eric Gordon was in and James Harden was out, they would either have KCP or Alex Caruso guarding Eric Gordon straight up. And then the rest of the Lakers were in a box. They were playing a box in one. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically when four men are playing a zone defense and then your best defender is playing the best offensive player for the other team. And what this did was even they were even doing this with Russell Westbrook on the court because Westbrook is a horrible shooter. And they were leaving him wide open at three-point land, at three-point land just letting him shoot. They're saying, you know what, you can go ahead and fucking shoot because Eric Gordon's a way better scorer than you are. So we're going to live and die with you shooting. And, I mean, he made a couple threes. I think he was like two for 20. So maybe not that extreme, but I mean, he he shot them out of the game. He sh- he made a lot of horrible errors. He just man, he just he was just bad. There's a, there's nothing that he did good in this series. It, if I'm a Rockets fan, I'm just upset that we traded Chris Paul and two first round picks, and we got this bum who basically single handedly took us out of the uh, the playoff picture. You know wh- what is that? How how did this happen? Why did Daryl Morey make this trade? Why did he think that bringing together Russell Westbrook, who's a, doll, uh, a ball-dominant point guard, 
who can't shoot threes, and pair him with James Harden, who only shoots threes, in an offense designed by Mike D'Antoni, which is predicated on moving the ball and shooting threes. And those are two things that Russell Westbrook doesn't do well. He doesn't shoot threes well, and he doesn't move the ball to the open man or to the right man in those certain spots. Russell Westbrook has always been and always will be all about Russell Westbrook. He wants to make sure that he gets his counting stats. That's why his triple doubles, when he was doing it for three straight, uh, three straight seasons, I wasn't that impressed by it. Because I remember seeing a lot of the times when he would move Steven Adams or any of his other players out of the way just to get a rebound after Steven Adams did all the dirty work of you know boxing out the man. And that's not right. There's, there's more to the NBA than counting stats. Yeah, counting stats earn him that sweet contract. But no one's going to remember his contract years down the line. People are going to remember how horrible of a player he is in the playoffs and how horrible of a teammate he is. There's, I don't know. It's I know a lot of people like Russell Westbrook. I'm just not one of them. You know, I'm I'm just not one of them. He's just he's. I, I, I joked about this to my friend. I just don't think he's a smart guy. If I had to guess what his IQ is, I'd say it's a little above Forrest Gump numbers. I'd say maybe 73, something like that. He's just not a smart guy. Where I do think James Harden is a smart guy, but James Harden's also a selfish basketball player. They're both – there's a reason why it didn't work in, in, in OKC. Granted, James Harden wasn't the same guy that he is now, but there's – it just wouldn't it, – it didn't work. And But so let's, let's get to the positives, though. LeBron James was a man possessed in this series. There were times where the Lakers weren't playing good and he single-handedly was – keeping us alive. I think he had 29 points in that first quarter of game two or three, playing amazing defense, blocking shots like they were, you know, going out. He had a chase down block on Russell Westbrook, and Russ just looked shook. You know, he just looked completely shook. He had a chase down block on Austin Rivers, um, and then Caruso did the same thing in game five, chase down block on Austin Rivers. I don't know. It was just they played so hard, and the amazing thing is they were able to completely switch around how they normally play and how they've played all season. They played small. They adjusted. They adjusted during a five-game series. They adjusted after uh, just midway through the third game, and they were able to win the series playing how the Rockets play. That's why this roster that the Lakers have and that Rob Polinka was able to construct is so amazing. They're, they can play so many different styles based off of the personnel that they have, and I think that's really, especially in playoff time, that's completely impressive. There are just a lot of different matchups and things that you can account for because you have all types of different guys. And you have guys who are an amazing on-ball defenders like Alex Caruso, KCP, Danny Green, and now even Kyle Kuzma and LeBron. I mean, we're just stacked with all kinds of guys that want to play defense hard and play defense the right way, play good team defense, don't uh, don't don't crowd too much, don't, don't clog the middle, uh, don't try to go for the steal. Just playing good team defense, leading them into your centers and your centers doing the work. You know, AD and then JaVale McGee, all those guys doing the work. I I feel very confident moving forward. Um, if we play the Nuggets, I'm going to say it here now, that's a five-game series. I don't really fear the Nuggets. I don't think the Nuggets can match up with us. Um, I, I respect what they've done. I really do. I think Jamal Murray's become an amazing player in these playoffs, and he's, he's really lifted his seed. Um, that sounded bad, especially given what we know about Jamal Murray. But uh, and then Jokic is an amazing player, super skilled. MPJ is going to be a great player. Uh, Gary Harris has played really well. I just don't think that they're ready for this yet. Give them, give them a year. Let them, let them mature like a nice fine wine. 
they're going to be in the mix in the next couple of years. They really are. Mike Malone's got those guys playing really hard. And we also got to remember they're without Will Barton, which was their sixth man, one of their best scorers, one of their best defenders coming off the bench. If we play the Clippers, that's probably a six-game series. I have us winning that one as well, especially the fact that the Clippers had trouble against the Mavericks. They lost two games to the Mavericks. Now they've lost three games to the Nuggets. They can't close things out. Lou Williams has been a non-factor in the playoffs. Montrez Harrell, the sixth man of the NBA, hasn't done anything. Who's going to guard AD? Who's going to guard LeBron? What are you saying, Kawhi? Have you? If, if you're saying Kawhi is going to guard LeBron, yeah, he, he'll, he'll do his best. But LeBron's on a mission right now. That man is playing some amazing basketball. He knows what's at stake. He knows what being a Laker means. He said it in his press conferences all the time. Granted, I've, I've never been a LeBron fan. You know, I might not ever fully fully like LeBron, but that man's playing hard, and I respect that. He's playing harder than I think I've ever seen him play, or maybe I just haven't paid attention. Maybe, you know, maybe it's one of those things where he's always played this hard, and now finally because he's a Laker, I acknowledge it. And that's not fair to him. That's not fair to his legacy. Um, but I'm just glad he's wearing purple and gold, and I'm excited for the next round and beyond. Uh, there's a possibility this thing could be Lakers-Celtics. You know, all, all I'm saying is, if we get out of the Western Conference Finals, we're winning the title. There's no one in the East that's going to beat us. You think the Heat are going to beat us? Yeah, right. You think the Celtics are going to match up with us? There's no way. We already beat somebody who's better than Kemba Walker defensively. We beat Damian Lillard. We'll beat Kemba Walker the exact same way. Tatum, I'm not scared of Tatum. Tatum's really good, but I'm not scared of him. Jalen Brown, not scared. Who else they got? Marcus Smart? We got Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris will fight him. <laughs> but, nah, it's... I'm, I'm excited for what's next, and honestly, I just... It's been 10 years since the Lakers have been in the Western Conference Finals. The last time the Lakers were in the Western Conference Finals, I was going into my senior year of high school. I was only 17. It's been a while. And I'm going to soak this all up. It sucks that they're not a stable center. We're not getting to enjoy those games with a home crowd. But I hope that the Lakers know that we're here with them. You know, we're, we're, we're riding with them. We're, we're excited for this. We want this. And as soon as we win that title, I want to go to the parade. I want everybody to be there. That way the Lakers can feel... The love of, of their fans, the love of the city, because, God, we need it. We need a little bit of positivity in 2020. Why not L.A.? You know, why not Southern California? We've already been screwed a couple of times from, you know, we lost the Super Bowl to the Pats. We lost two World Series in this city. I'm ready for some positivity. I think we can do that. Um, all right, guys, that's it. That's all I got for today. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to the CamCast again. Um, again, please follow on the Instagram. That's cam.cast. Go ahead and listen on Spotify. Tell everyone that you know to listen to this. If they're Laker fans, listen. If they like movies, listen. If they like the MCU, listen. I got a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, if you have future videos or future, not videos, we're not to videos yet. We'll get there, though. If you have future podcasts or things you want me to talk about, DM me. I'm always willing to listen to new ideas, and you know that's kind of what I, what I want to do. I want to take requests. I want to see what you guys have to say. But you know that's it for now. Uh, peace and love, guys. Thanks. Thank you.